0: Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leyteen Kenji. In today's episode, we invited our friend Dr. Bonnie Koo on the show. Bonnie is a board certified dermatologist and founder of Wealthy Mom MD. Bonnie's mission is to help women physicians be confident with their money and create wealth. We wanted to have her on the show because she is one of our inspirations when we first started our business, and she has continued to be a great source of support, knowledge, and inspiration as our semi-retired business has grown. With that, let's welcome Bonnie Koo to the show.
1: Bonnie, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you here because you really are a wealth of knowledge in building an online business. And I know you've taught us so much during the building semi-retired MD, as well as really running a blog and being a leader right out there in the physician space right from the beginning. And then you've now started investing in real estate. So we're so happy to have you here to talk about that range. Can we start by asking you a little bit about your blog and how you started it and how it turned into a business.
2: Yeah. So you said it perfectly because I didn't wake up one day thinking I'm going to start a business and it's going to be on this. In many ways, it was just like a jobby or hobby, whatever you want to call it. I was writing blogs really just to educate other women physicians on money And I just found writing a blog post was easier than sort of typing out these long Facebook comments, et cetera, because I'm sure with you, with real estate, the same questions pop up over and over again. And so that's kind of how I started the blog. And like I said, it was a hobby. I was making some money from day one, like $7,000 my first year, but that was really never the intent until about two years later. I think just last year is really when I took it seriously for the first time as a business versus a hobby.
1: And what changed for you? It was Peter, right? Peter told you to go big and go home or something?
2: Yeah, that's so funny. (laughs) So it's funny. Like, I I was at this crossroads. Like, I had a baby, and, like, several months later, I was like, what am I doing? Because I think the blog took, like, a three-month hiatus because I was on maternity leave. And I just moved, too. So I had all these big life changes, and I kind of was like... Why am I doing this since I'm already a dermatologist? Like most dermatologists aren't necessarily looking for side gigs in terms of income supplementation, right? Mm -hmm. And I went to FinCon, and that's when I saw Peter. I'd met him prior at the White Coat Investor Conference, but I remember just being really confused. I almost didn't even make it to FinCon. I actually – I don't know if you know this, but I bought a ticket, and then I sold it, and then I bought another ticket. And that the second time I bought it, it was only because Carrie Reynolds told me to go. She said, you really should go, and – That was just the whole thing because she was in town for a podcast conference in Philadelphia. So I barely even made it. But I went and I was like, well, the worst thing can happen is I just have some fun with friends and whatever. Because I think I really wasn't sure if I was going to continue. But yeah, I remember Peter just saying like, yeah, whatever you want to do. But exactly. He said, go big or go home. And I was still confused, though, after I said that like, I totally get what he was saying. But I was like, but I don't know if I want to go big. I don't know if I want to go home. And to be honest, it's not like something magical happened where I was like, I'm going to do this right now. I think I was like, why not? The worst that can happen is it doesn't work out. And I go back to being a dermatologist full time.
1: What do you think was holding you back? Was it was there some fear there? Or was it more you just didn't want to pile something else on your plate? Or what do you think was going on? That led you to not be sure until that point? That's hard to answer because that it was in
2: the postpartum period. And so I I felt like part of it was just hormones and just the newness and changes of a new baby. And like I said, we had moved from New York City to Philadelphia. I had a new job. So I think it was like I just had so much going on. And to add something like this on top of it just seemed not doable, I guess is the best way to say it. Like why would I even why would I add this on when I'm already having all these big changes in my life? Like, it's because they say the top thing, the top stressors in life are moving, having a baby, a new job, and now I'm going to add a new business to that list.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I remember when we started our blog, we started it really in March, right after I'd had Leo, like I had him on March sixth. So April, I guess it was April, we started our blog, semi-retired MD, we had just moved to Hawaii, and I had started a new job in January. So maybe there's something about combining it with all, another job with all the other jobs. That's crazy. <laughs>
0: Well, we're glad you, uh, did, did actually take this somewhere because as, like you were saying, I mean, we read your blog early on and I remember there was a little bit of this, Oh wow, look at, uh, Miss Bonnie. And it, back then it was Miss Bonnie MD, right? Right. And we were like, Oh wow, look at this blogger. We, she's doing so well. She's so big. That was our impression. It was so, so cool. And so, yeah, so you really inspired us to continue our blog. And there were times when we were just like, Oh man. You're writing all these blog articles and it's like a lot of work. And and, yeah, but yeah, you definitely inspired us to kind of. Well, and
1: you, she also allowed me to do a guest post very early on, invited me and that was a big deal as well. So I just love that story of physicians helping physicians. And even since then, I mean, you've helped us think of so many ideas. And I think that one of the strengths you have, at least from my view is that you go and you take all these courses and you listen to all these leaders in the field and you come up with so many useful useful nuggets of information. And that's part of why I really wanted to have you on the blog today, because I know that you have so much to add to our listeners who are thinking about starting an online business or starting any business at all. I mean, they have real estate businesses, right? And some of the things that you've learned over time.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing that maybe people don't know is, yeah, Bonnie is one of those that really shows up, right? You, you, you take a course and you're all in, you fully participate, which is awesome. So something that we're still working on for ourselves.
2: <laughs> well, I'm a serial course taker. I mean, if there's a course out there, I've probably taken I've slowed down a little bit because I've had to. But uh, yeah, that last year was just like, I call it like my residency in entrepreneurship almost. I think Sunny and I dubbed it like it's our intern year of entrepreneurship in terms of just taking all the courses.
1: She's taken more than I have, actually, and I thought I did a lot. (laughs) Well, there's so much to learn, and every time we've taken a course or done anything, we take leaps forward in the application to our business. And we just did business mastery for a third time. And it was like, every time you're in a new situation, you learn different skills and and things. So yeah. it's always applicable. So also besides your course, you've really, I think, pivoted at least in my mind over the last six or 12 months to do more and more coaching. So can you talk to us about why you've made those changes and how why you've integrated that so much into Wealthy Mom MD?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So like I said earlier, my business really started as educating people on money. So part of it's just like basic financial literacy, but Mm -hmm. also showing them, hey, this is how you invest X, or this is what a Roth IRA is, like giving them the details, the how-to, et cetera. And then I was working with my own one-on-one coach, which is Sunny, who is Sunny, rather, who you know. And that was actually around the time when I decided to get serious about making this a business when I was working with her. And so working with her and then also just some prior personal development work I had, it just became so clear to me that strategy is important, but what's more important is mindset. And once I sort of saw how you know critical they are with each other and you really can't in my opinion, build wealth without a certain type of mindset. I was like, I have to learn how to do this if I was going to be the best at what I do.
1: So Bonnie, I know that what led you to make that change was a lot of the education and the courses you were taking at that point that allowed you to realize that mindset is so important. So can you give our, our listeners some resources you would recommend about mindset?
2: Yeah, well, obviously, your podcast is one of them, Rich Doc, Poor Doc. I think that's super awesome that you guys are doing this podcast. And I think you have to find people that resonate with you. I always recommend the Life Coach School podcast. That's where I certified as a life coach. I have a podcast, the Wealthy Mom MD podcast, where I do talk about money strategy, but also sort of the mindset piece as well. And I'm trying to think what else I listen to. So the other ones I listen to are more coach specific. So my current business, you know, mentor and coach is Stacey Bayman. So I really like her podcast. It's called Make Money as a Life Coach. But even if you're not a life coach, I think it totally applies because she's obviously talking about the mindset behind being a successful coach in terms of making money.
1: Yep. Yeah. Tony Robbins always says the main chokehold on any business is the owner. And that's because the owner's mindset doesn't allow for the growth of that business. And so I can imagine that the mindset work has actually helped your business significantly as well in growth. So can you tell us maybe like some of the challenges you've had in growing your business and how this mindset component has really helped you overcome them?
2: Yeah. And one thing I want to add is besides those podcast resources I mentioned, I always tell everyone to invest in a coach. Like that is money worth spent. And I know some people sometimes balk at the price tag if maybe they're not used to paying for a coach. And so I was talking to a, a, another coach friend of mine the other day saying, and it's funny because like I have no problems investing in myself and coaching. I know you and Kenji don't have a problem either, but I was trying to think of like a, Good way to tell other people like why they should invest sometimes like $10,000 or more in coaching. And it's because it like accelerates your results. It shaves off time. You know, you could try to figure out yourself and you probably could because we're smart people, but why spend three years doing that when you could do that in six months and make so much more money? But that's an aside. And then in terms of challenges. I mean, honestly, they're all mindset, which is why I think having the coach was like, I feel like it paid for itself because if I didn't have a coach, like I don't think I would have created my course last year. And so when I think of all the revenue I've made because I was able to work on all the internal fears, et cetera, like I would have been saying no to like hundreds of thousands of dollars, right?
0: Yeah, agree. I mean, when we think about back to our business, it's, and, and we think about our own psychology, the coaching that we've gotten, all the Tony Robbins events that we've paid for. And actually now we're expanding into other coaches, uh, people like Keith Cunningham. And as we think about the price tags on those, yeah, initially it's a sticker shock, right? But. It, uh, over time, that sticker shock has gone away because we've seen the value that those coaches and those programs tend to deliver. And also, especially if you show up like you always do, then you're certain to get the value out of it. And we're just thinking about uh, our own business recently and and the price tag. And we were saying to ourselves, like, wow, we're paying about 25000 for eight sessions with uh, Keith Cunningham. And we said to ourselves, even just one session, if you could tweak one small thing in our business, we know that one thing could pay for itself, right? And that could be one suggestion to change our marketing approach or think about marketing to a different audience, let's say, or think about using a different medium. Right. Any, just one suggestion can easily pay for itself.
1: Or even helping us some overcome some fear or some sort of limiting belief that we have. Right. That's holding ourselves back and then just freeing us up. Right. I remember when, so last March we went to our first Tony Robbins event, right? And I remember. Right before we went, we actually talked to a coach because we were like, we need a business coach. We don't have any mentors who are doing business. Like, We need to get somebody. And we talked to him. We had our first initial conversation with him. Then we went to our Tony event. And I remember talking to you because we were going to come back and talk to him and potentially hire him, right? And I was like, hey, Kenji, how much is it going to be? We had no idea. And I was like, well, if it's more than like 10 or 15,000, I don't think we should do it. My sense was so skewed. And then we went to this Tony event and spent like, hundreds of thousands of dollars, right, yeah. in in effect, because we had to travel and all that stuff. But it was just like that opened the door to realize that you spend that money and it's significant money, but your returns are so great. It's just unbelievable. Well, That's
0: the thing. If you don't see the return po- component of it, you're just looking at the absolute cost. Mm-hmm. And the absolute cost seems like a lot. But when you, when you layer in the return and when you believe that there's going to be a return there, then it's, it's a no-brainer. It's a, it's automatic. We don't even think about it anymore.
1: Well, it's so funny though. I mean, I don't, I'm sure you've done this, Bonnie, too, is think to yourself, like, how much is that per hour? That's a ridiculous amount per hour. And then just start to talk yourself out of it. <laughs> i oh, <you> definitely, just- <laughs> initially, I
2: would look at it like that, but now I don't look, I mean, I'm sure you guys don't look at it per hour mm-hmm. anymore. And someone else was telling me, like, when you, Just like Kenji was saying, if you're just thinking of the absolute value of what the program costs, like, yeah, there can be sticker shock. And then another coach was telling me, you have to remember that if you're saying no to, let's say, a $25,000 mastermind, what you're really saying no to is building like a $2 million business, Mm
1: -hmm. which
2: is really the way to look at it, right? Because Stacey Bayman, my current business coach, she was saying basically – when she did her life coach school training and she was on the fence and back then it wasn't what they charge today and she so if she said no to that she was like i would have been saying no to this current multimillion dollar business i have and that's and- wild right
1: yeah. And the scary thing is if you say no, you never see what could have been right. Yeah. So you never have anything to disprove to you that you actually should have done it. So yeah, it's really interesting. Almost every successful person we meet have coaches and yeah. mentors.
0: I would love to know from you and your coaching, recent coaching that you've gotten, what are some of these um, limiting beliefs or things that you've had to overcome that are now going to propel you once you've overcome these?
2: Yeah. So what I'm working on right now, and it's so funny. I just had my three day virtual mastermind recently and I'm still sort of going over my notes because I learned so many like new concepts I didn't even think about before. That's, I think, I feel like at some point you feel like, well, I have done enough business type stuff. I mean, you've done business mastery three times. You're like, I've heard it all, right? We know like we're going to learn new things because we're at different places, but I really learned some re- new things of new ways to think about it. So one thing that really struck me, I think I shared it with you guys already, is she was talking about the concept of thinking about and selling to your best clients versus your worst clients and worst clients being like just not your ideal clients and how a lot of us use verbiage like when we're writing our copy or a marketing copy that we're Trying to convince people who are on the fence. And so your best clients are the people who like can't wait to buy whatever you're offering. And I think we forget that these people actually exist out there. We're not trying to convince people. And so that was like a subtle shift because when you really think about, at least I was looking at my copy. Yeah. I'm trying to convince people who maybe aren't my people. And so that was really huge for me because I think I do have a living belief. Like I need to find people or i need to convince people etc right but that's not that's not the point of selling i think when i was new to selling i thought that's what it is but i'm i feel like every day i'm i'm sort of getting a deeper cut into what it really means to sell and it really comes down to belief in yourself and belief in your product because if you wholeheartedly believe in your product then selling's easy if if you have the cure to cancer like you're not going to care if you sound crazy
0: This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Caliber Home Loans. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. Now, we've been working with Dan and his team for over five years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close a deal. Now, I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or a vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at semi-retiredMD at caliberhomeloans.com to get a free consultation. Also wanted to give a shout out to Joe Whitesoul of Northwest Commercial Lending for being a sponsor of the show. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever tried to get a loan for a commercial property for less than a million dollars, good luck. Most commercial loan brokers don't deal in small loans, And this is where Joe and his team shine. They help investors find a commercial loan no matter the size. And they actually love working with new investors and helping them grow their portfolios. So the next time you're in the market for a commercial loan, be sure to reach out to Joe and his team by emailing them at semiretiredmd at nwclending.com. Now back to the show. (laughs) Right? That's like the
2: analogy that I like to talk about.
1: Yeah, actually, Jay Abraham, who's an incredible marketing guru that we hear every time we do business mastery, has this example that you own a water store. And a customer comes in and they want to buy a half glass of water from you, but you know that the customer needs eight glasses of water a day to be healthy. Do you just sell them the half glass or do you really spend the time and educate them about that they need eight cups of water? And maybe they don't buy those eight cups of water from you, but they know they need to go find eight cups of water a day. And you actually care about them enough to convince them That the value – so it's – I mean, the equivalent is you're convincing them the value of your product because you believe so deeply that it is necessary to help them in some big way. So it's really about them and caring about them enough to really share your product in a way that compels people to buy.
2: Yeah. So I'm still working on being – Like a hundred percent believe, like I do believe in my product, but obviously there's some days where I'm like, well, is it the right thing? And that's another thing I learned too is she, what I learned is sometimes we're like looking for, you know, evidence or validation outside of us, like looking at, you know, we need our student testimonials to, to tell us that the course is good. And so one thing I learned is none of that is true. The structure of the program doesn't actually create your students results. And that was huge to me because I know sometimes myself, and I think I see other entrepreneurs get stuck in, oh, should, should we have a Facebook group? Do they need weekly calls? As if that's going to actually create results, and it doesn't. It's really, I think, the creator's belief in the product and sort of spending time holding that belief. So you and we've all talked about super thinking before, and so I learned a whole nother level of super thinking and also scheduling the time to just think about my product, think about my students' results, and just how important that is to spend time on doing that.
0: That's so uh, funny you say the word think because that's been something that Leity and I have been talking a lot about recently uh, about this the value of thinking and setting aside time to think. And it's actually spilled into even talking to our students in our course uh, as well as in our membership site. It's really about what I like to say is that they have the answers, they know the answers, they know their. Situation better than I do. And what I'm here to do is help them, help them think, help them ask better questions, which will then also cause them to think and also solve their own problems. And so that's something that we've really, at least for myself, I've just shifted more towards thinking of myself as a coach and a guide. And, but my purpose is not to tell them what to do. It's more about helping them think through the problem and solve that problem themselves. And so. Exactly. You
2: want to teach your students how to think for themselves and actually in this mastermind I and mean, I can tell you we have rules like we're not allowed to ask questions unless we've answered it first. I love that. That's really cool. Yeah, and if someone good. tries to do it, which I totally try, I get called out.
0: <laughs>
1: so how does that actually look? So you say, I have this question, this is my answer, what do you think? <laughs> like we can't so it's interesting, right? It's a whole nother
2: like level in this mastermind. Like they it's and it's great because they really the bar is high and they make everyone rise to it. And so, yeah, we have to answer it ourselves. We have to have done our self-coaching. We can't just dump our problems into the group, which is like a lazy way to deal with problems. And so it's taught me, I know I have to spend some time. And also, it's also perpetuating this idea that I don't have the answer, that it's somewhere out there and that someone else has it, but I don't have it. And that doesn't serve me, right? And so in the beginning, like I, I imagine for your students, the beginning, yeah, they don't know everything. That's why they take your course. And then the membership, it's you guiding them to be also be resourceful. That's one thing Stacey always says is we're, she teaches us to be resourceful versus relying on her for all the answers.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's never a lack of resources, it's a lack of resourcefulness is something that Tony always says. And I remember there's a YouTube video out there where he actually calls out Al Gore for not being resourceful. He Al Gore blamed losing the election on the Supreme Court and then immediately after he says no you didn't win because you weren't resourceful, and so it was pretty funny. It was just it's live on T on YouTube, but but yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. That it's really about resourcefulness, and I love that. It really, actually, you've pushed us to think about our membership site differently. I think you're right. In the course, we're there, uh, you know, as their guide. We're really, you know, we answer their questions. But I could see elevating the game of everybody in the membership site and saying, "Hey, guys, now you have the knowledge." Now it's time for you to be resourceful, come up with your own answers. And really, I could see having that same type of standard where we actually challenge them to come up with their own solutions.
1: Yeah, that's a really great idea. Yeah. So maybe we can shift gears a little bit and talk about your real estate journey. Because I know that's relatively new, and we would love to hear all about it. So, no, yeah,
0: I would love to also know what what that transition was from going from not investing in the real estate, or maybe I, I, I'm not sure if you weren't thinking about it, or whether that wasn't on your radar, to saying, "Hey, I, we got to we got to invest in real estate." Could you tell us about that transition? Yeah,
2: it's funny, like I. Obviously, I think everyone knows that real estate exists, right? I don't think there's anyone that says like, oh, I did not even know you could do that. I think we all know people can do that. And it's funny. I don't even know why it wasn't on my radar. I think I just was so new to personal finance at the time. And I thought everyone just said index funds. That's what a lot of people teach. Now, I think my first exposure to real estate investing was probably somewhere between you guys and passive income and D with syndications, et cetera. And so I think that was, yeah, that my first real estate investment was a syndication. And actually, I literally just messaged Peter Kim was like, tell me where to invest. And I remember he was like, oh, go to my website. I have a list. I'm like, I know I saw the list. There's too many. Just tell me which one. I just wanted him to tell me which one to do. And so he did. And that's who I went with. And I've invested with them a few times since. And then I think your blog also intrigued me. And then obviously we became friends. And honestly, my I think my initially... I just had a lot of limiting beliefs. I was like, it's too hard. It's complicated. Even though logically I knew that couldn't be true. It's funny. If I took a step back, I'm like, well, it can't be that hard because lots of other people who aren't as educated as we are figure it out, right? I'm not saying like they're dumb, but they're not like they didn't go through medical school. So it's I think it's interesting how a lot of people think it's hard when it really isn't. When A lot of people invest in real estate that don't have professional degrees, for example. And so I think I really got into it because of you guys. And then, but I still had, part of it was fear. And then part of it was like, well, we don't have the money. And so that kind of was where I was for almost the past year. I was like, well, I can't invest in real estate. It's not like I have a pile of cash sitting around for a down payment. So honestly, after I decided I didn't have any money, I just didn't think about it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And then I think honestly, it's probably, I mean, it's really your guys' fault, right? I think you guys kept saying like, when are you going to start investing in real estate? And then you guys had your course. And then everyone that I knew and their mom was investing in real estate, basically. <laughs> That's what it felt like. And then I, it's funny because I'm a coach. And so my what I do, not just to get paid for, but I also coach myself. And I realized that I don't have money was not true. And that was mind blowing for me when I realized that because it seems like it sounds so truthful. And if I was telling like my friend about it, they'd be like, Oh, yeah, I guess if you don't have whatever 200 grand lying around, then how can you invest in real estate? So it was very like, truth sounding and everyone would agree with me. And I don't even remember how that switch happened. I think I just found Oh, I remember it was uh, Peter's conference. Was that just a year ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a year ago. Yeah. So I was there and then, but before that conference, I'd heard about a, the self-directed 401k. Like I'd heard about it, but they didn't really know much about it. And I heard about it through, I think Eric Tate, I think I saw him posting about it. Anyway, he was at the conference. You guys were there, obviously, and I was able to talk to him more about it. And, after, and Matt was at the conference too, right? Was he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah. he was. Yeah. And I think I finally looked into it more and it made more sense. And I was like, Oh, well, we have money. It's just. And money jail, as they say, right? (laughs) It's in a 401k. And so, yeah, we both opened up these accounts and we both transferred our solo 401ks to them. And then, then we had capital there. But then I, then when I heard, I hit another roadblock because, okay, now I could use the money for real estate, but then it would be inside of this retirement account. And that just, it's funny. Anything legal makes me like, go unconscious I've, I've realized anytime someone's oh read this contract and it's legal stuff I just literally like my eyes glaze over I can't read it I tell I send it to Matt I'm like Matt can you read this and he'll read it and then not understand it and then I'll have to read it again but anyway so every time I feel like there's a hurdle or there's some like lawyer or lost thing involved I just like run away And so that, so then another few months went by basically, but then fortuitously, I wouldn't say fortuitously, the pandemic is not fortuitous, right? But because of the pandemic, the CARES Act got passed and that basically gave us the option or gave us a way to tap into that self-directed 401k because we did have an income loss. Mac couldn't get a job. So that's what we ended up doing. So we ended up finally buying something, ironically, after the pandemic. So I think it was May we closed. So just a few months after covid
0: very cool. Yeah. Well, I, the other thing I wanted to mention with these limiting beliefs and saying can't, right? I think one of the things that people tend to do when they say can't is they immediately shut down and stop problem mm-hmm. solving. And and so the the thing that we always challenge our students to do is is instead of saying can't, you ask yourself how can I? And I think the other conclusion that you could re- you could end up in in terms of how can I invest in real estate when I don't have money? is that you could also conclude and problem solve and figure out how do you buy real estate with no money down. Uh, And actually, I think that you have a deal like that is uh, my understanding from actually having visited your property is that you have a property now that at the end of it, you might be able to actually pull out all your money out of the deal or at least a lot of it so that you will essentially have been invested in that property with little or no money down.
2: Yeah, no, we're so we're doing some major renovations. And as Kenji alluded to, we were able to do a lot of extra work, we turned it into a three add an extra bedroom, which will obviously increase the value. And we're making it, you know, look all nice and stuff. And so it's actually almost done, I think. And so we we actually need to start the cash out refi process. Just reminding me, Matt keeps reminding me that we have to unfreeze our credit. I keep
1: forgetting because I need to do that today.
0: Well, good. I'm glad we uh, had this uh, interview today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's so cool how you you coach yourself. And I just want to draw attention to that before we shift to our last two questions, which are the same ones we ask everyone. Can you tell us a little bit about coaching yourself? Because I've seen you be able to, in the space of a couple hours, just really change around your thinking. And I think that is like such a powerful skill for people to learn.
2: Yeah. So I think we all, we're all in agreement here that our thoughts create our feelings, which create our actions. Like honestly, all actions are driven by how you feel. So if you're obviously feeling crappy, you're probably just going to sit around and not do anything. And so I, I have found the best way to get some space between you and your thoughts because otherwise on default, we think our thoughts are like what we think. There's something we have to believe and that's just how we are. Like we don't even question them. And so I basically have to write them down. So I have a journal and actually part of this mastermind. One of the requirements is we have to self coach ourselves every day, but in a specific way, which I'll tell you in a second. And so basically you, it's just journaling basically, but as you're journaling, you're writing down what you're thinking, right? But then seeing those thoughts on paper, it just, that gives you some automatic space between them. You're like, Oh, that's interesting. Is that? Am I really thinking that? Like, why am I thinking that? It helps you like look at them versus thinking like they're you are just your thoughts, right? Like it helps you become the watcher of your thoughts. And then I do something called where I write out unintentional models and that's just writing out like my current default thoughts, seeing what feelings they create, seeing what actions those create and what results I will create if I keep thinking these. So I have to do three of those every day. And then I have to do one intentional model, which is where I think on purpose And so that's something that I have to do every day as part of my mastermind. I was sort of doing that already. I wasn't doing three and one. I was probably doing one-on-one and maybe not every day, et cetera. So actually this morning I decided that I think I'm going to have to spend an hour every morning just thinking. Because of, I have a big product lunch coming up and I just want to really be able to direct my brain to thinking the thoughts that are going to, you know, make me money literally, right? And so another skill that my coach taught me was something called intentional thought creation, which I thought I understood until she laid it out. And it's similar to what I said before, where you really spend time picking what you, how you want to think on purpose by asking yourself high quality questions that problem solve. So it's kind of like what you were saying, Kenji, like, problem solving. Because one thing I really get stuck in is I can see like where my current default thinking is clearly not serving me like something like this isn't going to work, right? That's just a horrible thing to think. And I know that the thought I need to think is, it's done, or it's going to happen or something of that sort. But then what do you do when you know that's where you need to go, but you're nowhere near it, right? You can't just fake yourself till you make it. And this is where the intentional thought creation comes in. Because it instead of Trying to believe your way to the result, which is, I think, what a lot of coaches do and say, but it's not always as easy as it sounds. Well, it's it's really hard, actually, is problem solve your way to that new way of thinking, like problem solve. So asking questions like, what do I know? How am I doing this right already? So questions like that. So we have a whole list of questions, like just suggested questions, but I think you guys probably learned from Tony Robbins, like it's also important to come up with your own high quality questions. But even in that mastermind Facebook group, if we ask questions, people will call people out and say, that's a low quality question versus that's a high quality question, right? Because the questions matter what you ask. Oh, wow,
0: that's so
1: powerful. Yeah, that is
0: really powerful, actually, because that was going to be one of my questions. And you answered it, actually, is how do you come up with these questions? Sounds like you have a list of questions that they've provided you, but also you have an accountability group where they are literally challenging you to come up with a better question. And I think that's really powerful because, you know, thinking time, it's (laughs) I remember Keith Cunningham talks about thinking time all the time. He said when he first started doing this, every time he would start thinking, he would fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so, so like really and the key was he just had to ask better questions that really activated his brain and got his brain going. And that's, and then he wouldn't fall asleep.
2: Yeah. I actually think it might, I get these names mixed up, but I think Keith Cunningham is who Brooke Castillo references. She has a podcast episode on super thinking. I don't know if you guys have listened to it. But I'm pretty sure she references
1: him in terms of where she got the concept from. Yeah, he got it from some like huge stockbroker no, guy, actually, Michael Milken. Yeah, so yeah was who did like, Thinking time. The
0: story behind it was funny. It was a big, it was like a huge deal. Like I think it was like Gulf Oil, and Michael Milken's company was going to buy that company. And so one of his employees said, "You know, hey, we need a decision on Gulf Oil." And he said, "Okay, let me check my calendar." And he says, "Okay, on this on Thursday between three to five a.m." That's three to five a.m. That's, that's when I have time set aside for thinking. And so you'll, so have, an you'll have your Yeah, you'll have your answer at five a.m. <laughs> <So.
1: laughs> yeah, it's so brilliant, right? Because people are always wanting answers out of us all the time, but, and we get the, I think the common response is to come up with a half baked answer because you haven't had the time to think through it and scheduling that thinking time to make decisions well and setting it aside and making sure it's uninterrupted and focused that's so powerful because brooke says
2: uh, she'll often say she works three days a week and people are like blown away by that but that doesn't mean she doesn't do anything else the other days she's like, oh i'm thinking the other days Mm -hmm. but she doesn't consider that she's not like working on her business like doing active doing type things of that right just right. Thinking.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I've heard her say that on her podcast, and and now that you're making that connection, finally, that yeah, what she's doing is that's her thinking time, which is great. Cool. Yeah. And and uh, and I'll also say, yeah, for us too, we have we're actually doing trying to do something similar where we're dedicating a day for just the two of us, and we'll typically combine it with something active because we think that you know being active is thinking while you're doing something active is it really stimulates your brain, it really gets it going, and you come up with, I think it increases the creativity. And so that's gonna be our thinking time moving forward. And I think, yeah, combining that with good questions, just like you said, coming up with a list of questions and coming up with these good questions, and then almost even challenging ourselves to ask better better questions questions. because we're each other's accountability partner. So I think that's great.
1: Yeah, and and for those of you who are listening to this and wanna learn more about thinking time, Keith Cunningham wrote a book called The Road Less Stupid. It's really good. It's got a lot of thinking time questions in it. If you need some ideas for questions
0: for sure. Yeah. Well, this is great. Well, so let us close with two questions and then we'd love to talk about some of the products and launches you have coming up. But the two questions we ask all of our, all of our guests is number one, what is your definition of rich?
2: Oh, I didn't know these are your two questions. So, well, I guess. I think probably what I think the definition of wealthy, they're interchangeable. I like the word wealthy personally more than rich, but I know some other people use the word rich. I think rich means part of it's like having money, but it's also what I think having like a rich life. So not just money because having just having money is empty, I guess is the best way to say, but being rich in money, being rich in friendships, in health. Honestly, I think being rich in relationships because honestly, what's a life without the relationships in your life, right?
0: Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would imagine, I actually never really thought about this. Yeah, I would equate rich with wealthy. So with wealthy mom MD, I would imagine that wealthy mom MD is more than just about becoming financially rich.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely why I gravitated towards that word because I felt it had sort of a bigger meaning than just monetary wealth.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. So our second question is, what is one mindset, habit, or strategy that separates someone who is rich versus someone who's poor?
2: Oh, I love this question. Honestly, it's probably, I mean, there's so many, but I think the biggest one is a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And that to me, that just means being flexible, being open to a new way of thinking. If you just automatically shut down any sort of new idea or new way to look at things, that's like a fixed mindset. So I think people who go on to become wealthy, they, at the end of it, just think they think very differently than those who aren't.
0: Love that. That's actually one of our company values. And and yeah, we hire people based on that, right? And so for anybody who's maybe thinking about applying for our semi-retired job, that's actually one of our core values that we look for uh, in people. And it's not just growth mindset, it's really somebody who's willing to improve themselves on an ongoing basis
1: hmm Absolutely. So Bonnie, can you tell us a little bit? I know you have a course coming out. Can you tell us a little bit about the course as well as your coaching? Sure. So my signature program is Money for Women Physicians,
2: and it is a financial literacy course and also incorporates mindset. I used to not talk so much about the mindset piece. That was like the extra special bonus people got. But now that I think coaching is becoming I don't want to say more mainstream, but there's a heightened awareness of what coaching is in the physician world. I have been talking about it more because that really, honestly, the program I would say is mostly mindset in terms of the best skill they're going to get from it. Because the stuff I teach them, like how to invest or how to deal with these insurances, like that stuff isn't really hard to end the day. But combining the two, I found to be really powerful. And some of my students have, well, they've gone on to invest in real estate or creative businesses or were able to sort of cut down on their jobs because they didn't realize that they didn't need as much money as they thought they did. Because there's a lot of just misconception, like how much money do you actually need to live on? And I think a lot of people just weren't even thinking about where they were going and where they are right now. I think just this course gives people a magnifying glass as to where they want their life to go. And so that course right now I offer about twice a year right now.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about the course and how you work on mindset and some of the strategies as well? How, like, how did, Is it like a, a multi-week course online? Can you describe the course a little bit?
2: Oh, yeah. So similar to yours, there's some pre-recorded components as well. There's a workbook, and then there is live components, and that's where they can get coached by me. There's Q&A time, and we do have a Facebook community. And I teach them how to – I teach them the self-coaching model, which is from the Life Coach School, in the context of money and how to use it for money. That is a skill that takes time to develop, right? If you've never – Lifted weights before, it's not going to be fun or a habit, right? So I really try to instill that habit and teach them. And then, honestly, I just I have to untrain them a bit because pretty much everything you think you know about money is wrong for most people, right? Really un- uncoupling money from time and effort. I think that's a huge, even though like people sort of know that, but they don't because of the way we're paid as physicians, right? Because a lot of the way we're paid as doctors is unit based, right? So RVU based or patient based. And so to really get out of that mindset that no money doesn't come from that, because otherwise you'd have to work all day and all night, all weekend to make more money. And that's obviously not sustainable. And so a lot of it's just unteaching all the wrong stuff that they've been learning, and that some of that's really hard because some of the stuff is so ingrained. It's it can be hard for people to really stop believing that. Especially since they've been believing it for forty plus years at this point. When I get them right, right, so, and but you have to start somewhere. So
1: yeah, and everyone's echoing it around them too, right? It's our culture that we're yeah. all, and so it's teaching them to think differently. I also tell them to get new friends. <laughs> Actually, we were reading "You Incorporated" by the founder of Kajabi. Uh We had him on a a couple weeks ago and he one of his things he's got this whole like plan for how to build a business and part one laps is lap structure. Part one was get new friends and family and or don't tell anyone what you're doing because everyone's natural tendency is to just cut you down until you can't do it. So don't tell anyone what you're doing. (laughs) <laughs> I tell
2: people to, well, obviously no one's traveling now, but you know, before COVID, I would like just go to conferences, meet like-minded people, go to entrepreneur conferences. And if they're physicians, I actually tell them don't go to phys- just physician conferences. So I think we stay in this bubble. And when it comes to, cause when you're building a business, you really have to get rid of your money beliefs, right? Cause a business, a, the success of a business is measured by the money it makes, right? Otherwise it's not a business. It's a hobby. And so. That's where my course, even though it's not a course on how to build a business, but breaking those money beliefs will definitely serve people building businesses. I tell them you have to have some non-physician entrepreneur friends because you'll realize that the money that we make as physicians is actually not a lot. Like it's chump change compared to some of these other entrepreneurs that you and I have met. Right. And to be around people where being making seven figures is like very normal.
1: Right. Be around people who take you to the next level and you're thinking too. Exactly. You're only thinking you have a certain ceiling, but the ceiling's much higher. I told them beliefs are contagious.
0: Well, that sounds uh, really amazing. I think for the people who are listening, we talked about how success is 80%, you know, psychology. And it sounds like with your course, you've really built in this kind of ongoing kind of coaching component, Q and A's to support them through that journey. Because I agree with you. Just like in our course, it really does take time for people to get to that point where they really actually even appreciate the fact that their mindset is such a barrier to their success.
2: Yeah, I think in real estate, that's a huge thing because I'm sure you've heard all the excuses, right? People mentioned real estate like, oh, I don't want to do or I don't want to fix toilets or that sounds like a lot of work. It's like all oh, those automatic things pop up. That's what everyone says, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so I would also love to uh, learn more about the coaching program you're putting together.
2: Yeah, so the, like I said, the program, the Money for Women Physicians includes coaching. And then I do some one-on-one coaching. I have limited availability since that is one-on-one. And so that's always something that people can also apply for through my website.
1: Well, thanks for being with us, Bonnie, and sharing so many great insights about business building and then also mindset component. We really appreciate having you. Thanks so much for having me. Super fun. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.